This is the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. Hosts Matt McCrone, Brian Moreland, and Glenn Lotzenheiser talk everything Tennessee Titans. This show is made for the fans of Bleed Two-Tone Blue. What up, Two-Tone Nation? It's your boy, Morocco, a.k.a. Morocco, and you listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. Tighten up. What up, Two-Tone Nation? You are listening to Two-Tone Uncensored, and we are your hosts, Matt Necrone and Glenn Lotzenheiser. How you doing, Glenn? I feel like we uh, won the coup. We're in charge now. Look at us. Fuck the authority. <laughs> so we got a good show for you guys tonight. We're going to recap the Panthers game. Basically, just talk a little bit about who stood out to us and who didn't. Uh, also, Glenn and I will do some do's and don'ts when it comes to the world of fantasy football. So stay tuned for that. But first, if you haven't already noticed, Ryan will not be joining us tonight. He and some new friends are sitting around the coffee table discussing the trials and tribulations of Blake Bortles. So interesting stuff. Uh, he decided that was more important than doing the show. So here we are. We don't need him. Let's do this. Getting into this game recap, Glenn, the first things we'll talk about is what we saw from the quarterbacks. Marcus Mariota, 6 for 8, 61 yards and a touchdown. He looked real crisp, calm, cool, collective, showed really great poise, didn't really show any setbacks from his previous injury. Was there anything specific that stood out to you with his performance? He looked exactly like he looked at the end of last year to me just right before that injury. He's the guy he is now. He's an established quarterback to me. He's in control. He's a leader. He makes the right reads the right times. He's everything I want in a quarterback, so I'm I'm happy he's back. I expected him to look this good. I was hoping he would look this good last week, but the whole team looked like shit last week, so I'm not going to put that on him. Fair enough, man. The backup quarterbacks, I think, in my opinion, Matt Castle has pretty much Lock the door, threw away the key when it comes to being who's going to be Marcus's backup this season. But the real question is, do you think Matt Castle will be able to get the job done if he is indeed called upon? You know, Matt came out and he did a really good job of showing off his legs, showing that he can move out of the pocket. We all knew he was capable of it, but he didn't do much of it last time around. He, he came out and he picked up right where Marcus left. I think he's establishing himself, not just as the number two, which we all saw that. But he's established himself as somebody that you can believe in because he came in, he ran the offense, it looked pretty much the same. I mean, he's not as dynamic when he takes off running, but he takes off running at the right times. He gets you that first down. He makes the right throws. He's not as good with, you know, throwing the ball as Marcus is, but that's why Marcus is going to be a great quarterback at some point. He, he showed me everything I needed to see from him. I'm, I'm happy with him as our backup. I didn't see anybody else on this team who can challenge him for that spot, so I'm going to be happy with him by default, if nothing else. Pretty much. Uh, one thing I loved about him this past week was the truck stick he pulled out. He did show me a little bit of what I needed to see from him, so... Alex Tanney, I don't think we keep three quarterbacks. If we do, I'm not so sure it needs to be Alex Tanney. I wanted it to be him for the last couple of years, but 
not even just because of the Jets' performance, because he did bounce back this week, but he's just not the guy I want moving forward. I think next year we draft a guy mid to late rounds, and we just kind of mold him behind Marcus. Yeah, that's the approach I would take, too. I'm, I'm tired of people trying to inflate older, unproven guys as being the man every time it's fans love the backup quarterback, but some of the Titans fan base loves the underdog backup quarterback, the underdog fifth string receiver. They always cheer for those guys harder than the guys who are out there doing it every game. Tanny's done. I'm fine with them leaving them on the roster if they want to. But like you said, I think the plan has to be that we get the next backup in here, you know, this next season. Another couple guys that definitely stood out were the running backs. There was definitely a Derrick Henry sighting last weekend. He's slowly becoming the running back that I want to see behind DeMarco Murray. I still don't think he's quite ready to take that starter role, but he's he's coming into those shoes. So he showed good pass protection this past week. He's hitting the holes. He's showing patience. Sometimes he shows a little bit too much patience where I think he could definitely benefit from not delaying so much. He's coming away with solid gains for the most part, and it's really developing his game. Uh, obviously, the play of the game and probably his career came at the end of the first quarter from 17 yards out where he showed strength, vision, and speed. Um, that was probably the best run I've seen him pull off as a Titan. He basically cut it out to the outside, two stiff arms, turned the burners on, and he was gone. That was it. I still think he's not quite ready to be our starter, but if we see more plays like this from him, DeMarco is definitely going to be losing some touches. I liked Henry's energy a lot better this week. You know, he, he ran with more purpose is what I would say. Last week he seemed to be kind of be going through the paces. You know, he knows he's going to be carrying the ball all game. I didn't know if maybe he was saving some energy or what, but th- this week he, he ran out there. He made plays like you said. He showed real drive and energy. Uh, which I felt was missing from his play last week. The coaches probably did too and got on him about it. Now, he, he went out there and he didn't just show that he's the number two guy, which no one doubts, but he showed that if DeMarco goes down, we're going to be okay. He can do everything you want him to do. He just, he's got to get better at little things and he'll be a better player, you know, this time next year with no question. Uh, the, the guy that really did himself big favors this week was Fluellen. Fluellen's ability to come out and move the ball keep drives alive. He, he really solidified himself, I think, as a third guy. For sure. I mean, he was 10 for 71 with the touchdown. His monster run for 53 yards is definitely what stood out to everybody. But even the three-yard run where he went in for the touchdown, I mean, he used the truck stick on that guy. Flew Ellen is pretty much the guy who I hoped he'd be. I think last week I expected a lot out of him and got absolutely nothing. So, you know, he, he knows he's had a good camp. He's had good weeks of practice. He just came out and showed it. Um, my opinion, he's got that third spot locked down on the depth chart. Do you think we still need to see more? Or, and if so, do you think special teams is going to be that factor? I don't know how much of an impact he has on special teams, um, at least in terms of returning. If he gets out there and he starts making tackles and that kind of thing, which he's been playing special teams a little here and there, I'm sure. I haven't looked for him on special teams because I wasn't too worried about David Luone. But – yeah, if he goes out there and he makes an impact on special teams, he locks down that spot. Does he need to do that to lock it down? Because I don't think there's a back on this roster, other than obviously our front two, that are better than him overall. 
There really isn't. Uh, not just because he's so good, which he's okay, but just because there's nobody proven to challenge him. I mean, who else are you going to put in there? Muhammad hasn't looked good returning the ball, and special teams was his key to making the team. So if Muhammad's not going to make the team on special teams and he's not going to make the team, I think by default he has to be that guy. We, we may see somebody jump up and surprise us or else somebody get waiver-wired. But we're far enough down the waiver wire that a good option is probably not coming here. And no one's going to be cutting guys until this fourth week is played. So there's just there's very little chance that we can upgrade beyond him. I'm pretty sure it's his job. Yeah, and I don't think we necessarily need to. He's he's a young guy. He's got fresh legs that I think we could use. But another bright spot that shouldn't go unnoticed was Jonu Smith. This kid finished five catches, 91 yards, showed a ton of burst when he had the ball in his hands. He blocks well. He's already shown me that he is the second best tight end on this team. So my question to you would be, do you think we keep three tight ends on the roster? And assuming that third would be Philip Supernaw, do we go with four tight ends just to keep Jay Samaro? I think we go with four, but I wouldn't guarantee you it's tomorrow. We're going to see some play out of Cunningham here in this next couple of games, and he's going to get his chance too. He's a more impactful specimen physically um he he has better strength better size he's going to be able to block more effectively than jason morrow who is not a blocker at all i think the ability to come in and block and catch the ball a little bit will be weighed equally here so in the next couple of games jason morrow's future with the team will probably be decided i could see that in my personal preference, I would like to keep three tight ends. I could see them going with four. And I understand why you would say uh, Cunningham's still in the mix. But in my opinion, the blockers we have in front of him are already better than Cunningham. So why not take the offensive weapon if you have one? So in my opinion, I'm I'm kind of rooting for Jay Samaro. I don't think he's you know the next coming by any means. But for what we already have, I think he would be a good mixture of, of something different. My thing with him is I'm not convinced he really is a weapon. That, that, that's my whole thing is I haven't seen him consistently play well enough to convince me that he's definitely the guy. Which is fair. I mean, I don't think Supernaw is the guy either, but he's that's not. just some. Well, yeah, but he is their guy, unfortunately. So, you know, we'll see what happens. There's still some games to be played and, and uh, spots to figure out. But let's switch over all this praise to the defensive side of the ball. I feel like first and foremost, we really need to acknowledge the fact that Logan Ryan came out and did what he does best, and that's wrap up the ball carrier and take them down. On the first series, Ryan showed his skills by forcing a fumble, which was scooped up one-handed, by the way, by Kevin Byard. And is it me, or is Kevin Byard always around the ball? Kevin Byard's starting to look like the guy that we were all talking about last year. You know, he's a playmaker. He's in the right spot at the right time. That's what everybody said about him. And this preseason, it's looked like that's actually the case. So, yeah, Byard is solidifying himself as a guy who's going to be deep in the rotation. Whether he starts or not just depends on what they do between Cersei and Cyprian. I love Byard. He's shown me everything I thought he could be, and I think he's only going to get better. But back to Logan Ryan. How important do you think it was for his confidence to be able to come out right away and make that huge play right off the bat? It's got to be big for him because he hasn't looked solid since he got here. 
you know, he he's not making stellar plays in practice. We're not seeing his name popping up as the guy that, you know, is shutting down receivers. He's not really challenging anybody on a consistent basis. So he's got to come out there and make big plays. He's going to have to be big and run support. I just, I'm really hoping that at some point in time he proves me wrong and that he's more than just a, a nickel back or else just, you know, part of the rotation. Yeah. I mean, but as far as his confidence goes, that was the best thing that could have happened because he took responsibility for his shitty performance against the Jets. Uh, he owned up to that. He came out, he made a difference the next next chance he got. So that's really great to see. I'm, I'm hoping that continues. We all have our doubts about him, but at the same time, he's a young player. He, he hasn't been put in that situation. Obviously, the first time he was, he didn't do so well, but you know, he could improve, and I, you know, I hope he does. There's definitely no reason to root against him. I just, I do feel better about his leadership skills on the field and and kind of meshing together with the other guys. And hopefully, we can come up with a pretty good combination of on rotating some guys around a little bit. Yeah, the only people that are rooting against him are you know Patriots fans. Everybody who's a Titans fan wants to see him succeed. Yeah. Well, you know, going right beside him to a fellow cornerback, Adoree Jackson, he basically showed us why he was selected in the first round when a lot of people had him graded as like a mid-second. But, you know, he showed us the punt return that was called back. It didn't matter that it was called back. I think he showed us why we selected him. And I think if he can grow to become, you know, a solid cornerback, I think he's going to be that number one guy for years to come. I mean, we got to, we, we could have a solid number one corner and a solid return man. And those are hard to find. Yeah. I mean, he's not neon Dion by any means, but he's that kick return. It, it showed vision. It showed elusiveness. So that's all I want to see from him, which he didn't get many opportunities in the first game. So this game was definitely better for him there in that regard. He's proving that he's going to be able to learn this position quicker than maybe some of us thought he would. His footwork's already improving. His ability to challenge balls in the air is already improving. So he looks like he, at the end of this year, he probably is our number one guy. Best case scenario. But, you know, another guy in the secondary who is definitely not the number one, but is slowly climbing his way up through the depth chart, Kalen Reed. I think he's already done pretty much all he can do. I, I saw a crazy stat where he was targeted, I believe 10 targets and an accumulation of 20 yards. What else does he need to do to make this team? I, I think he's made it. Uh, you know, he, he was on practice squad last year. They kept him around, you know, for Mr. Rell relevant to be out there playing this well, he's got to make the squad at this point, because if you let him go, someone else is going to go get him. Uh, He's answered the challenge every time he's had it. He's doing everything he can when he's on the field. He was making big tackles last week. This week he's playing really well against the pass. He's still involved in run defense. He's showing what hard work and determination means when you spend the whole season, the whole offseason, just making yourself a better player because he is a much better looking player on the field than he was this time last year. I agree. I think you take him over Bryce McCain at this point. There's guys that are still going to prove a lot going forward, and I know this is only a small sample size, but Kalen Reed needs to make this team. I'm not saying he should be out with the starters because he shouldn't, 
but he has earned his spot on this team. And there's plenty of other guys that should go before he goes. Yeah, I just I don't feel he should be cut. How much he plays is up to him and what he can earn. Bryce McCain, I've never been a fan of, so I can cut Bryce McCain for most of the young guys because at least they have potential. Yeah, definitely. So the next two guys, I'm not trying to go on and on. There was just a lot to go over because a lot of guys stood out for the right reasons. And I'm going to group these guys together, just try to keep it keep it flowing. But Jayon Brown and probably the biggest surprise this season in my eyes, Aaron Wallace. We've went over these guys before. There's there's no surprise. They they keep making plays. We can go into that if you'd like to. But my question for you would be, do you think we see these guys rotate around in the 3-4 defense, or do you think they'll be strictly inside, strictly outside? You know, for me, Jayon Brown's more of a matchup guy. He's not terribly big, so he's not going to be your run-stuffer, middle linebacker. But in situations where they have a tight end who's a threat to catch the ball, he's going to come in as a middle linebacker and just match up on that guy because they're not going to pull Morgan and Arakpo off the field just so he can come cover the tight end. So more likely he comes on the field and Woodard goes sits down. And then you just trust Williamson to play more of the true middle linebacker role, and he's in charge of run defense. And Jayon Brown goes over there and plays the tight end. I think that's going to end up being what his role is this season. Aaron Wallace is going to move around. Uh, he, he was a guy that I was high on after the draft last year just because of his physical gifts and complete lack of experience on the field. So he was just an open book. And so he's come in here, and he has a chance to work with a great coaching staff, and he doesn't have to unlearn a bunch of things from college. He just has to come out here and catch up to the game. And it's it's showing. He's in the right spot at the right time. He's learning how to use his athleticism to get through blocks, to get into the rushing lanes so that the guys have to make another choice. He's going to move around. How much of an impact he makes in the regular season just depends on how much we have to rotate him through. But both these guys, they make the team, and they play on a fairly regular basis, I think, just because their athleticism makes them invaluable. Exactly. I I couldn't agree more. I think... Wallace will move around a lot, and I love I love having the idea of Jayon Brown subbing out for Wesley Woodyard. The only thing bad about Jayon is his size. You can't leave him out there. They will take advantage of his size, but at the same time, he's one of our best coverage linebackers that we have. So uh, with Aaron Wallace, though, I could see him taking that spot that maybe Kevin Dodd's holding up right now i think that if dodd doesn't get it in gear aaron wallace will benefit from that the most yeah but wallace and walton will probably end up being the first two guys off the bench unless dodd you know shows something i wasn't real high on him because he's just a Derek morgan clone to me anyway and i wasn't real high on Derek morgan i mean he gets stuff done because he's got heart whereas i don't see the heart from dodd <laughs> So Wallace has his chance to supplant Dodd as the next outside linebacker off. Well, and this is a perfect uh, segue into my next different side of the coin as far as all these guys we're praising. Kevin Dodd, man, um, hasn't done much, hasn't really been a factor at all. I, I don't think if he had, if he didn't have such a high profile, we probably wouldn't notice he was even out there. So, is it too early to panic? Do we hit the reset button and maybe move him down to, to put his hand in the dirt and, and see what he can do there? Or do we get show patience like we did with Morgan and, and hope for the best? 
you have to show patience because what would he do with his hands in the dirt for us except for as a sub package? If we put a four lineman front up, then yeah, you put him out there as a defensive end and see what he can do because that's who he is. He's he's a four three defensive end as an outside linebacker and a three four. He just doesn't work for me. He's not explosive. He's a Derek Morgan clone. And so he's going to have to earn it every time he gets to the quarterback. And you see Derek Morgan. He had to put a couple years of work in. He's He's got it now. So you have to be patient with Dodd because he's that style of player. It might take him two years to learn enough about the NFL and about how to defeat blocks and use his hands to get to the quarterback. So he's that guy that you're just going to have to keep coaching up and hopefully he figures it out before his contract runs out. Yeah, I mean, with such a high pick like that, that's best case scenario. But there's a guy that's starting on our defensive line right now that if Kevin were to add a little weight to him, there's a guy I could see him maybe filling in for and, and ultimately replacing in Daquan Jones. I think he's the weakest link on our D-line. Just hasn't really shown me. I think he, I think he isn't in danger of losing his position, but he's just complacent. I, I don't I don't think there's anything special about him. Daquan Jones is an average guy. He, he's depth on a better defensive line is what he is. Um, that's all I thought he'd ever be for us. The fact that they start him just tells you how little work they've done to build up that position. He should have been just a depth player by now. You know, Dodd, you could build him up and put him on there. I don't think he'd be any better. I really don't think he would be a better defensive end than Jones already is. The guy, if you're going to move Jones out, the guy that I move him out for would be uh, Austin Johnson. He's not quite as quick and explosive, but he's he's got the same build, the same 40 time, that kind of thing. He's got all the tools where I think Austin Johnson could be more impactful as a defensive end than Daquan Jones is. I don't think he'd be a great defensive end, but if Sylvester is going to be playing nose tackle, you might as well get him some work over there and just rotate out Jones so that you can see who else could play. I agree. I think honestly, I think Austin Johnson is more explosive than Daquan Jones and and I wouldn't mind seeing that. That's a good that's a good idea. From a fan standpoint, you want to see these high picks in the rotation and and you know, overplaying these fourth fifth round guys, but at this point, you know, a 53-man roster is the team no matter where they were taken. They can be guys off the street and they can play what, you know, well and, and be better than the guy that you took in the second round. That happens all the time. I just haven't seen enough from Daquan Jones and I think that there's really not that much room for him to grow or get any better than what he already is. See, I would counter and say I have seen enough from Daquan Jones. This is who he is. This is all he's ever going to be. I don't see him ever developing beyond a fill-in guy. He, he's a C, C-plus defensive end. It's, that's his ceiling to me. Um, from the game, is there anything else you want to throw in there I may have forgotten? You know, as far as our team goes, I think that we've pretty much covered it. Um, the Panthers' secondary looks like absolute shit to me. Um, Christian McCaffrey looks like he's going to be a valuable fantasy pick. We're going to discuss that here in a little bit. The other thing I would discuss is just our two tight end sets are going to be nasty. They're, they're going to force defenses to play an even front. You can't cheat to one side or the other because you have two tight ends capable of going out and making catches 
and both of them can block. Uh, I was really impressed with what John New Smith was able to do once he caught the ball in space. He was moving really well, following his blocks. He he is a Delaney Walker kind of player with, I think, better speed, better size. So he's going to be a real handful, you know, this season. Even uh, I don't think we have to wait too long to see his impact on our offense. And he's going to give Robisky a lot more options. That's fair. So, you know, in quick other news, I will just mention that Tajay Sharp is back. And unfortunately, that means someone has to go. That someone is Mehdi Abedzmad, who I actually liked. I thought there was definitely other guys that should have went before he did. But maybe that's just a factor of the the defensive line being overcrowded. and, And that's just the way they went. But do you think Mehdi gets picked up from another team or is, is was it worth the cut to bring Tajay back? I wouldn't have cut him first. There's plenty of other guys I would have cut. Um, you know, the, the guy that everybody loves, McBride, he's a fifth at best guy. Mehdi, I think, is a good challenge for Daquan Jones as far as his ability to back up and play other people if we ever get around to replacing him. I would have kept Mehdi first. And there's plenty of other guys like they're not going to get rid of Weems, but I would have gotten rid of Weems. Um, yes. <laughs> he's so low on my list. I would have gotten rid of him. None. I don't think any of the three of us like Weems enough to have kept him over almost anybody. So it, nothing personal against him, but he's not going anywhere until somebody else proves that they can handle all of the kick return duties. So he, he's going to stick around and at least until the very last cut. But I would have kept Mehdi just because I want to see someone come in who plays hard and pushes people, and I, I feel he would have done that for us. I agree. He's got a. He's. I don't know if he's going to be anything, you know, a starter potential, but he will make another team, and he'll be decent depth. I think he was a bad cut. I do too. Exactly what you said. He's going to be able to play somewhere else. He may play. 15, 20 snaps a game, but there's a good chance he makes an impact when he does. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll tell you guys all you need to know for owning your fantasy drafts. Time to pay the bills. Some quick ads, and we'll get right back to the show. Time now for our long-distance dedication. This one comes from a young man who doesn't want to see history repeat itself. He writes, Dear Two-Tone, my name is Cheddar Bob, and I was cut from my team for making some pretty dumb mistakes. I've grown up a lot since then and realize now how much I've hurt those who loved and trusted me. I want to send this out to my little buddy Tajay Sharp and let him know not to make the same mistakes I made. Cheddar Bob, here's your long-distance dedication. Hi, this is Two-Tone Uncensored, Glenn Lotzenheiser, coming to you with a public service announcement about the season of Stupid. This yearly event claims dozens of victims who could have prevented tragedy by just following a little good advice. What's the matter with you, boy? You too stu- stupid to do what your coach tells you? Are you a football player? <laughs> Did you just sign a contract making more money than most of us will earn in a lifetime? Do you just want to go out and play? Do I look like a cat to you, boy? <laughs> Am I jumping around all 
Nimli bimli from tree to tree? No, no. <laughs> Am I drinking milk from a saucer? <laughs> well, do you see me eating mice? <laughs> hey, you stop laughing right now. That's right. This is no laughing matter. The month between OTAs and training camp is one of the most dangerous times of your life. You're young, you're newly wealthy, and possibly you're the most famous person you know. That's a dangerous combination and it can quickly go bad. The good news is you can still go out and have fun. You just need to follow a few simple guidelines when you do. Number one, you've been hearing this since you were a kid. Nothing good happens after midnight. We got arrested for being black on a Friday night. If you haven't found yourself a nice piece of ass by midnight, you need to go home, play some Madden with your boys, do something else, because obviously womanizing is not for you. Go home, make good choices. Number two, never let a strange girl pour your drink when you go back to a hotel room. I don't usually be kissing like that when I first meet someone, but Or you're going to wake up broke, naked, and handcuffed in the shower. Number three. Leave your knucklehead friends who got nothing to lose at home. I ain't worried about jail, man. What the fuck? You sound like a bitch. Bitch. Man, I ain't worried about jail? Shit, man, I, I, man, I don't give a damn about going to jail. Take me to jail. Take me to jail. Take me to jail. Shit, knock me out. Knock me out. Throw away the key. Throw away the key. I ain't afraid to fuck somebody who's at Number four. No matter how awesome the new car you just got is, don't drive it anywhere where you might have a drink. You've just gotten old enough to drink. You're not smart enough to drive. Leave it home. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. Number five, wear a condom. 18 years, 18 years, she got one of your kids, got you for 18 years. How hard is this? Seriously, wrap your shit. I'm not saying don't have fun. I'm just saying you only get one chance at a football career. Don't throw it away trying to be cool or tough. That's pride fucking with you. Don't end up on the street like this guy. Man, you got his bad taste. Sorry, bro. I'm all out, man. Man, I got these cheeseburgers, man. I don't want any cheeseburgers. Please, man. I, I suck your dick. Now go forth, young man, into the month of July, free from responsibility, no practices, no coaches yelling at you. Follow this simple guideline, and you'll emerge ready for training camp with no court dates to distract you from doing your job, a job that most of us would seriously consider killing for. Seriously. If stabbing you in the back in an alley would land me a rookie minimum contract, you'd be bleeding out behind a dumpster right now. This has been a public service announcement brought to you by Two-Tone Uncensored. Message! You're listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. Brought to you by Podbean. Hey, this is Bo Scaife. You're listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. Tighten up. Welcome back. We're going to get into fantasy football, everybody's favorite topic. We're going to talk a little bit about what you want to do with your fantasy draft and how you want to approach it and why you're going for certain players in certain rounds. And we're also going to talk about, you know, the cheat sheets that everybody uses, our cheat sheets, how we rank these guys. Your opinions will differ from ours. That's how it's supposed to work. Otherwise everybody would dress around the same people and there wouldn't be any fun in this. So 
our fantasy discussion, we're going to go ahead and get into a list of players that you already know, tell you what order we would draft them in, post our cheat sheets on the Two-Tone Uncensored podcast website. You can go to those for your draft. We'll have what we individually like and what the consensus for the show is. Initially, there's supposed to be three of us. It's going to be just me and Matt. We'll talk about the differences in ours and you know, here and there where what Ryan did differently than us and why we think he would have done that, you know, because people smoke crack. It's what they do. <laughs> crack is bad. Uh, crack is bad. All right. We're going to go into the key position groups. Who we're high on, who we're low on. We'll discuss the guys that you might have a debate on in your draft. Um, most most guys are going to have the same top three or four guys. It's when you get past that that you're having a conversation. So that's what we're going to talk about. We did our top ten guys in the draft, and there are five guys at least one of us kept out of our top ten, but the other guys put on. So that's what we're going to talk about here first. We, we, we've all got Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Matt Ryan. If you don't know that that should be the first quarterback you take, then this is probably not the game for you. So <laughs> we're, we're going to start here first. Matt, you left Kirk Cousins completely off your list, and Ryan and I each ranked him around five. You know, so what's your beef with uh, Kirk Cousins? It may be personal preference. I guess it has to be personal preference. But him and Russell Wilson, I kind of put in the same boat. Russell Wilson, I had at ten. Who I, I really didn't even want to put in my list because both of those guys. Um, more or less, I actually have a bigger beef with Russell Wilson. I could actually swap those two around, really. But Kirk Cousins will probably have another solid year. He's playing for his contract. He's got he's got a lot of uh, incentive to to play well. Nothing against him personally. I just think that there's guys in that same area that I would take ahead of him. You got to look at it this way. We're dealing with a lot of injuries. Um, I, I did put Andrew Luck on my list as well. He's kind of in the dark right now. I got him at number nine with this injury lingering. I'll take Andrew Luck with the big question mark over Russell Wilson, over Kirk Cousins. It's just personal preference. I don't think there's much more to it than that. I do have them still at 10 and 11, but you know they're just guys I would rather pass on. Yeah, and that's what it comes down to is personal preference. Do I trust this guy with my $25? That's the thought process in ranking guys. Kirk Cousins, I ranked him that high because he has been playing under one-year deals and trying to prove it the last several years. So I, I expect another big year from him because this is the last year that the Redskins can screw with him. So he's going to try to show it out and earn that next big deal. And that, and they didn't add enough in their running game to make it less dependent on him. So they're, they're going to still lose a lot of games. And he's going to throw the ball a whole bunch, which is why I put him up there. Team he's on in the situation he's in. Now, Ryan left Big Ben off of his list altogether, which I have issue with. Uh, Big Ben's one of my favorite fantasy quarterbacks because you can get him a little bit later and he always produces. Matt, what's your theory on why Ryan left him off his list? It's got to be the same thing, personal preference, I'm, I'm assuming, because he's number five on my list. He has probably the most potent offense when you look at running back wide receivers and not, not only, you know, running back, but a running back that catches the ball out of the backfield, uh, you know, lit it up last season. Lev Bell is probably, well, he is my number one running back this season. And, you know, when you got a, a running back with his ability that 
catches a lot of balls out of the backfield. Not to mention they're getting back Martavis Bryant, who is a speedster who can run all the way down the field. Antonio Brown needs no introduction. You know, I hate the Steelers, man, but you got to put that aside when you're talking about fantasy football. Exactly. Yeah, I have Big Ben on here too. I got him lower than you, but he's still on my list because he's just he's valuable uh, for fantasy football purposes. He's not going to lose you the games, and he may not carry you to a championship on his own, but he's not going to be the reason you don't win if you don't. Other other guys that we left off that just didn't make on everybody's list: Jameis Winston. Uh, Matt, you left him off of yours. Ryan and I both listed him fairly low, but he's on there. You know, Matt yeah. gets overlooked, and he just fell off on my list, just like Cousins just fell off of yours. I don't trust his offense because he has no running backs. It hurts Stafford's value because he has to do it all, and he doesn't have any reasonable backs behind him. You know, at least Cousins has some guys who can kind of run. Stafford's out there by himself, so I don't trust his weapons, so I dropped him down a little bit. And then there's Cam Newton. Cam's coming off an injury, off a of surgery. We're not sure how much we trust him. Ryan dropped him completely off his list. You, you've got him at eight, and I've got him at ten. He, he's one of those guys that you can start him just like you know, the, just like Stafford. He's not going to cost you the game more often than not. But he also does some strange stuff, and his his numbers tend to be more volatile. So that's why I dropped him further down. Uh, yeah, he's a he's another guy that had a monster season two years ago. Last year laid a complete dud. And, of course, last year was the only time I've ever went after Cam Newton, got him, and he obviously did not perform. Which is what happens um, in fantasy football. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, pers- personal issues aside, you know, I was able to wipe the, wipe the slate clean this year and put him at number eight. He is coming off that shoulder surgery, which is obviously, a, you know, something you need to watch. I just have a feeling, man. He, I, I think he's going to bounce back and, and be the guy I love to hate. So yeah. <laughs> what comes with that is, you know, fantasy points. So I just I just think he's going to have a bounce back year. I think McCaffrey is going to help him out a lot. They got some big receivers down there, and I think Kelvin Benjamin is going to have a big year as well. There's just a lot of things going, and I think that if they play their cards right, Cam Newton could be back to possible MVP talk. Yeah, I expect him to have a great season. My I question is entirely about their defense, which has fallen off the edge of the planet. You know, they're just they're useless now. So Cam's going to have to do it all, and we'll see how big of a toll that takes him on over the season. But he's on my list too. Is there anybody that you would not consider? You know, that would be your, one of your typical top fifteen guys. That's all I went up to in this list was fifteen. Um, and I'll say that, you know, there's there's guys on that edge that, you know, you guys had said you had Jameis Winston in your 10, and he's not even on my 15. I think there's guys that I like more that necessarily probably aren't the popular pick. Uh, if you want to go from, you know, after 11 with Kirk Cousins, I got Matt Stafford at 12, Andy Dalton 13, Rivers and Manning at 14 and 15. I think – now, Rivers is the biggest – question mark when you play fantasy football because you never know what kind of game you're going to get he has single-handedly won me games and lost me games he's another one where well i don't know we just talked about wiping the slate clean with cam newton i don't know if i can wipe my slate clean with philip rivers but he has the potential to just light it up and and eli manning i'm not a fan of either 
but you got to believe with, with Odell Beckham and Brandon Marshall on the outside, how does he not have a good year? You know, you, you could say the same thing with Jameis Winston with his weapons, but I just don't think Jameis is, is at that level yet. I think Marcus is ahead of – now, call me – I don't know if you'll call me a homer. Where did you rank Marcus? I got Marcus higher than both of you, honestly. Uh, he's my number six. Okay, well, I have him at seven, so you're not yeah, that far off. That's what I'm saying. We're, we're all right there. I had him at six, you had him at seven, Ryan has him at eight. We have a ton of weapons. We don't have one guy that is a you know a Mike Evans or a, in in Manning's case Odell Beckham Jr. But there's so much potential with this offense that I I just think it's going to get spread out, and I think Mariota is going to truly benefit this season. I think Mariota is the most valuable Titans weapon other than Demarco Murray because he's going to be the guy spreading it out, and he's not going to play favorites so much. So Marcus is going to have a good year. Moving into running backs, you know, there, there's a lot less variation when it comes to running backs. You, know, you got to your top of the group, you know, guys that are the starting running back in a system that doesn't use a committee. Those are the guys who are gold. Those are the ones everybody wants. You know, these, these guys are going to get the bulk of the carries. You're going to get the goal line carries. If you're in a PPR or a half PPR league, you'll find these guys with good hands move up the list a little bit, and the guys who don't really catch the ball drop down. But it's usually not a big swing one way or the other. Um, I'm going to start with the biggest question. Going into the fantasy draft, we're looking at Zeke Elliott. He's suspended for six games right now. Drafting it means you have to have a plan to win those first six games somehow. You know, you're not going to have him, so you got to be in position, even if it's at 500, that you can make the playoffs because when he gets back, he's going to go on a tear and he's going to put up points. You know, so he's at the bottom or just off of the draft boards. I, I know that you've got him listed. Ryan and I didn't. You know, we, we both pushed him off. If you're doing a dynasty league, you keep him. Uh, you know, dynasty or keeper, you keep him, you draft him early just because his long term value is there. For a redraft league, he doesn't have quite that same value unless, like I said, you got a plan for your other six weeks. You know, whoever you pick up that you can think you can still get to the playoffs with before Zeke gets back. Well, that's the thing, Glenn. I think you do have to have a plan if you take Zeke Elliott. I, I asked you guys before I did these rankings, how are we? treating this are we treating it as a six game do we think it'll be reduced um you know we all agree that it's going to be the sixth game even though i do believe it will probably be reduced but i have met number 10 i look at it like this there's going to be guys that are going to get you through the first four to six weeks the thing the thing about this is there's going to be guys that you can plug in that are going to get you to week six when z comes back like you just said he's going to be a beast he's coming in angry, mad at the league, and he'll probably light it up. And if you can get to a 3-3, three and three, a 4-2 and two record, and then you have Z coming back, it is well worth the investment. The thing that is important is that you don't draft his backup early because, one, you don't know if it's going to be a committee. You don't know how they're going to do. I know Darren McFadden's obviously the popular choice, but he it's been a long time since he's been relevant and I don't know that he's going to carry the load all by himself anyway. So if you take a chance on Zeke Elliott, you have to know what you're doing and, and you have to have pieces around him to make sure that, you know, you can get to a decent record by the time he gets back where you can take that next step. Exactly. The three backs outside of Zeke that 
one or the other of us left off were Gurley, Lamar Miller, and Jay Ajaye. Uh, you left Gurley out of your top 10. How far down is he? Right there, 11. That's what I've said. <laughs> so he, he's, I mean, it's tip for tat. I, I had to put Zeke in the top 10 just because of the, the firepower that he's going to come back with. I, I would take a chance on him knowing that I had something in place for me to get through till whatever day I thought he was coming back. But I'm not a fan of JJ. He's, he's a guy just like Russell Wilson. I put him in there just because he's got that reputation where he is going to be a top back. He's just not a guy I'm willing to take a chance on. I hated on him all year last year and he proved me wrong several times, but uh, this is personal preference. Again, I can't, I can't go with a guy that, I don't like rooting for <laughs> He's just yeah. one of those guys. I don't know what it is about him, but uh, he just seems like too much of a fluke to me. And I think somebody will expose him soon enough. Yeah. Well, his stats back that up. Anytime he played against you know a, a top half of the league running defense, he gave you nothing. And whenever he played the bottom dwellers, he ran off for 200 yards and scored three touchdowns. So that's why I left him off of my list is he's too matchup dependent and the Dolphins have a better schedule or a worse schedule for him, that they're playing a better schedule. So I don't see him having that year again this year. I pushed him off, but not far down. Ryan did leave off Lamar Miller. I'm curious as to what's up with that. I think it's probably the Texans don't have a quarterback. If your man comes in there and starts tearing stuff up, then Lamar Miller becomes a lot more fantasy relevant. Yeah, I got Lamar at number eight. To me, 7, 8, 9, 10, even 11 with Todd Gurley, all those guys to me are interchangeable. I got Jordan Howard at 7. I think that, you know, quietly he put up great numbers last season. And I know that's because Chicago was so bad and they just tried to get through games. But he has some great numbers. I don't know how much of a setback he'll have this season with, you know, their quarterback situation. But I expect a big, heavy workload for him. Again, Lamar Miller at 8. It's almost the same situation. I just expect a lot out of these guys are going to be used a ton. I mean, there's not there's not much behind them for for competition for a committee. Uh, and, and honestly, nowadays that's pretty rare. I mean, there's guys that that ha- that own their backfield. Like for for instance, Todd Gurley. There's nobody behind him pushing him. But we didn't see a lot out of him last season. He kind of turned it on towards the end. But you know, there's a lot that he has to prove yet. So. A lot of these guys are just like second tier running backs to me that, um, you know, it, it's a flip of a coin on which one's going to really go off this year. Exactly. You know, we, we've all got Johnson and Bell first or second in whichever order. McCoy is the next guy, depending on the format you're in, just because he's getting older. If you're in a dynasty league, I would put Freeman up there in front of him. But if you're in a redraft league, you take McCoy. He catches the ball, he runs the ball, and the biggest danger to his carries now plays in new england so mccoy has a lot of value this year i've got gordon up there then Gurley, and i like the rams offense better this second week than i did the first week or the entire last season i just think that they have a plan they've simplified things a little bit the rams will be less of a clusterfuck this year now that fisher's gone you know so so Gurley's got a chance i've got miller down at nine for the same thought processes, just I don't trust his quarterback. I think he's going to get a chance. But like you said, the, these guys that are playing on crap teams, if you can find the guy that doesn't really have a 
threat to his position behind him, and he's the only really valuable weapon, you, you push him up your board. It's not about does that team win or is this a guy a star player. It's high-volume players, period. It doesn't matter how good the team they're playing on is or if they're going to the playoffs. You want the guys who are going to touch the ball as much as possible. That's what matters. So like Matt said, that's how you push a Miller higher up. Uh, and Howard, he did have a quiet year. I wasn't too interested in him. He ended up eight on my board just because you can't deny the stats. Glennon will probably have a good enough year this year that he won't be facing as many stacked boxes. So he's going to get his chance to show up too. Are there any running backs that you would just absolutely not touch? I think Spencer wears one. I have him at 16 right now, but um, the uh, rookie Kareem Hunt has looked pretty good this preseason, so I expect him to take away some carries. I don't like any of the Bengals. I don't know what that what's going to happen out of there. Um, they already had two solid running backs for just added the third. So, uh, you know, I have Mixon as the highest rated one at 19, but again, I don't want any of them. Another one. Let me see. Go down a little bit. C.J. Anderson's another one. He is Don't want to touch. submarine so many of my seasons. I can't touch that dude. <laughs> For sure. There's a few like that. I do have, you know, we talked about Todd Gurley at 11. I got Christian McCaffrey at 12, so I'm pretty high on McCaffrey. Mm-hmm. Um, those are guys that I think that if I'm going to take a chance on somebody that, that's not proven, it's going to be McCaffrey. But I got right behind him. I got Fournette, Lynch, and Dalvin Cook. I think all of those guys are definitely – uh, on my radar, but guys I'm staying away from that I haven't already mentioned, maybe Carlos Hyde, Isaiah Crowell, I'm not too into. Ty Montgomery, I'm not sure. You know, he's he's kind of the, the guy that could be the the, uh, the Swiss Army knife, so to speak. So he's one guy. They don't have an answer in Green Bay. I know Jamal Williams could push him for some, for some runs, but I, I think that he probably will still command a um, – a decent amount of attention in that backfield, but he's just not a guy that I'm willing to put a lot into. Yeah, and I agree. Ty Montgomery is a guy that I'm really interested in if I can get him late. You know, somebody who's going to have a chance to get some good receptions, a good PPR stat. If it's a straight standard scoring where the running back's catches don't count, I don't touch that dude. <laughs> you know, so we're going to look at receivers. You know, this the league has become a lot more passing focused. You know, workhorse backs are harder to come by. You know, that's what we just discussed there. You know, so if you're going to look at the Air Force instead of going with the stacked running backs, then you're looking at receivers and you're trying to find the workhorse version of the receiver, the guy that the quarterback's going to throw the ball to a lot, hopefully in the end zone. You know, so you're, it's a bigger risk going with a receiver instead of a running back because he does have to have somebody throw him the ball. He will get coverages rolled his way. Things happen to receivers that don't happen to running backs. You know, if, if they stack the box against a running back, they may still run. They may roll him out and throw him the ball out there. The receiver, if he's double covered, odds are the ball's not coming his way. So he just has that many fewer chances because there's other receivers to throw the ball to. And we all agree on our top 10 except for one player, Michael Thomas. I left him out of mine. I don't like his potential as a top 10 guy this year had nothing to do with his talent, but Brandon cooks is gone. 
And so he's going to get those double teams that Cooks was pulling away from him. And, and Willie Sneed showed, you know, the options, the ability to get open. He showed that he has, you know, the ability to make plays for Breeze. I think he ends up becoming more of the safety valve for Drew Breeze than Thomas does because Thomas is going to have more guys on him. So for that reason, I threw Doug Baldwin in there instead of Mike Thomas. That's, you know, a bold prediction, I think. I, I'm I'm fairly high on Thomas. I have him at seven. Right above T.Y., Amari, and Dez. Now, Dez is kind of in that same boat where I don't want anything to do with him, but I have to put him in my top ten. <laughs> but yeah. uh, but Michael Thomas, I think, is going to have a breakout season this year. It, it's hard. I understand your point, and that's actually a good good theory. But when you're on an offense with Drew Brees, you know, and you're his – number one receiver you're gonna get a lot of uh a lot of attention so whether he can break out of those extra looks that's that's gonna be all up to him but i think he can do it i think michael thomas will be able to have a good season this year um that one thing we didn't talk about was the the new orleans running back situation i don't know what to do with that i don't know it's it's almost the same thing as the bengals i, I really want nothing to do with it but you know, if you had to pick between Ingram and Peterson, who would it be? Probably Ingram. And that's probably the smart bet, but I I mean, how do you – I don't feel know. good about it. <laughs> I, just, I just don't know. There's a lot of questions in New Orleans, and I do feel good about Michael Thomas. You put a little bit of doubt in me, but um, I, I, I still like him a lot. I don't know that I would put – here's the thing, though. If people view him as high as you know most people are viewing him, I don't think I'd put that kind of draft stock. I, I wouldn't take him as early as others would put it that way. Not because I don't think he can do it, but there's guys around him that I would feel a lot more comfortable taking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in that same group, there's other guys I would take first, which is why I took Baldwin. Thomas is just off my top 10. He's, he's 11 or 12, you know, so he's still there. It just, I think Baldwin will get better looks and is proven more to be that big play guy than Thomas. So that's why I pushed him up there. You know, it, it's a pretty easy group to guess. Most, most of your top 10 are going to be the same guys. If you look at every cheat sheet in the country, nine out of the 10 of those guys are going to agree about the top 10. So it's, we're not, we're not breaking any ground here. I just, I'm giving you my thoughts on the one guy that I pushed out of my list. When you go look at tight ends, this is another group. It's the same thing. There's just not there's not much to debate. You know, Gronk is the king of the tight ends. If he's healthy, he's scoring and can win you games. If he's healthy, that's the problem. Uh, there's debate about everybody below him as far as where they go. But like all three of us, we rank Gronk, Kelsey, Olsen. And then things start mixing up a little bit, but it's usually one slot up, one slot down. Where that's that's where the the Reed, the Walker, the Tyler Eifert, th- those guys get involved in there. Uh Jimmy Graham gets in there. You know, that that, that group kind of mixes up after that, but the top ten is still the top ten. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that um I think I probably had Delaney a little higher than you guys. And it, it's hard to to justify how high I actually have him at four. But I mean, you got to believe that he's still going to be that blanket for Mariota, even though we have so many other weapons, it's going to be really hard to predict anything out of the Titans this season. But I think, you know, 
right behind him, I got Jordan Reed and Jimmy Graham, who those guys are beasts, but never stay healthy. So, you know, can they do it is basically the question. The guys I have behind him, I don't have Eifert as high as Ryan did. I'm not sure where you had him. I have him at eight. Yeah, I've, I've got Eifert in between the two of you. I've got him at you know, six. He's coming off his – he came back last season, but I'm not I'm not even sure what he did when he came back. Um, you know, he's got a crazy potential as well, but I'm just not comfortable taking him as high as some of these other guys. Um, I was going to take Walker before Eifert like you did. That's not even yeah. a question for me. A lot of this, it just depends on the system where you feel he's going to be. Like Michael Bennett, last year he had an okay season, but he was playing for New England where they – spread the ball around a lot. Now he's going to be Aaron Rodgers tight end and that, yeah. that increases his value. For sure. For sure. You can't, I mean, unless your name is Richard Rodgers, you, you're going to go ahead and take the Green Bay tight end no matter who it is. Exactly. <laughs> like, if you can make Richard Rodgers a household name, then uh, <laughs> then you're doing alright. But I think Hunter Henry's going to have a breakout season this year. I, I think Gates is all but finished, even though, you know, he's he's kind of like Frank Gore, where you're like, yeah, there's no way he's playing good this year. And then all of a sudden he's like back to his back to his 20s and playing like he's a, he's a kid again. But well, even at his age, he'd go stand in the end zone and catch the ball. You know, he, he's going to get his shots. But you and I both have Hunter Henry as number nine on our list. Ryan left him off. He put Zach Ertz up there and I. I was a huge fan of Henry coming out of college last year. Like I've said repeatedly, I wanted him instead of Dodd. I think Hunter Henry is going to be the next great tight end of that group. As far as, you know, the guys who are drafted in the last few years, I think Hunter Henry has that most potential for me. He does everything well. So I have him in there. I've drafted him in both of the fantasy drafts I've done so far, actually. Both my rosters, I have one tight end on each team. And uh, Hunter Henry... Well, then, then I assume you waited. I did. <laughs> we're we're going to get to that. That's that's part of our discussion here is the the strategy in drafting and filling out your roster and why you wait for certain guys or you take certain guys early and just the, the thought process that, that costs people their seasons. You know, I love it when someone does something stupid because I can watch their draft and go, he can't win, so that's $25 for me. He can't win. That guy did okay, so maybe i got to watch him. But you, you see it. You can tell the guys who are used to the fantasy process and know how to win. And so we're going to talk about some of that. Let, let, let's talk real quick about scoring systems and what that does to affect a player value. You've already heard me mention standard leagues, PPR, half PPR. These are the ways that the player's stats convert to points for you. Uh, so the standard scoring system, the amount of catches doesn't matter. It's, it's touchdown and yardage-based league. So your, your quarterback throws touchdowns, your quarterback gets a certain number of yards, your running back runs for a certain number of yards. He may get yardage for catching. Most most do, but the number of catches that he gets doesn't matter. It's just how many yards he gains. Basically, it's about who gets yards, who gets touchdowns. So high-volume possession receivers aren't nearly as valuable as a guy like Brandon Cooks, who's going to get you that one big reception and score a touchdown. He got 70 yards. The other guy got 15 catches, but he only got 65 Brandon Cooks is worth more. In a different type of system, the PPR and the half PPR, you get 
points per reception. That's what the PPR stands for. So if the receiver catches the ball, that's a point or a half point. That's the difference in those. That makes running backs who can catch the ball more valuable. These are the kind of things that you have to know going into the draft, whether you're going to move a guy further up or further down your draft board. Because in a standard system, a guy like Leonard Fournette, he's going to have more value than a guy like Christian McCaffrey. But in a PPR league, Christian McCaffrey outweighs him overall because he's going to get more catches, more opportunities to score because he's going to get the ball in in space with better chances to make moves. But I live for PPR. Not only the ones that I run are the ones that I'm that I've been in for years and years. Not only do we run PPR, we do. I have one that's half a point per completion for the quarterback. I have ones that you get six points per passing touchdown. It's not, you know, so the quarterback is, is more valuable than the standard league will give you credit for. But at the same time, unless you're running a two quarterback league, which I haven't done in a couple of years, actually, but I hate those. My point is, you know, we have it to where the quarterback playing field is, is more level to other players. So it's, it's harder to predict where guys are going to go, which is more fun for me because, you know, you want to get those top tier guys, but at the same time, you can get somebody like an Andy Dalton late. You can get somebody like a, you know, whoever it is, a Matt Stafford or a Jameis Winston or whatever, and they can put up numbers and and still, you know, the, there's different guys that are obviously like a Drew Brees could put up, you know, 50 completions. That's 25 points right there if you're playing half point completion. So you, you got to take that into consideration. But I think the further along. I play fantasy football. The The more intricate the scoring system is, the more fun it is for me. Exactly. That's what I was going to say, too. As I've been playing fantasy football longer and longer, I get bored with just a, the standard leagues I won't play anymore. They're just There's no interest to me. The, the PPR and half PR is the only way I'm going to get involved. And the more you can do to vary the scoring system, the more things that you can make valuable – you know, the leagues I run, if it's not a money league, I tend to put negative modifiers in there too. You throw an interception, that's going to cost you half a point or a point, that kind of thing. Uh, if you drop a pass, that, you know, hits you in the hands, that kind of thing. Just as intricate as possible because there's no money on the line, so I got to do something to keep me engaged. The next big thing that makes a difference in your player's value is going to be keeper leagues versus. Uh, redraft leagues, you know, the format of how it is year to year. Uh, in a redraft league, every year you redraft your entire team. So all that matters is how this player is going to play this year. Uh, in these types of leagues, older players that are established are more valuable than rookies because you know what you're going to get. Um, yeah, someone like a Zeke Elliott will come along and you go, okay, I'm taking him over this guy and this guy and this guy. Because he's going to be the featured back behind a good offensive line. He's going to give me points. But you wouldn't take that big of a chance on somebody who wasn't going to be a featured back or who wasn't going to be the star wide receiver because you already have established veterans out there. And it doesn't matter that he's 29 years old and this might be his last effective season because he only has to be effective this one season for you. In a keeper league, it completely changes that approach. You're going to draft guys 
based on whether they're worth keeping. Now, this is the top part of the draft. If your keepers are at the top, you're going to want to get the best future talent possible early and then fill out your roster with veterans from there. And it doesn't have to be a rookie, but you tend to draft the young stars before you draft the older established guys because if you can draft three really good young players and keep them next year when they get better, you may not win this year, but you're going to have a much better shot at winning next year than the year after and the year after. If you're only folks about winning this year, you end up drafting guys who don't have a lot of leg left. Uh, you, you'll see it every year, even in keeper leagues. Someone goes, wow, I can't believe this guy fell to me. I'm going to go ahead and snatch him up. But they haven't looked towards the future, so they've got a bunch of guys in their late 20s, early 30s who are running out of gas, and they're going to be stuck next year when everybody else has kept all the young players trying to find somebody worth keeping. And so that really changes your draft board. It doesn't completely flip things upside down, but like I was talking about earlier, uh, LaShawn McCoy, he's got probably one good season left in him, maybe two. Whereas a guy like Devontae Freeman, Gordon, you know, uh, Gurley, Howard, these are young guys who are up and coming. They may not outscore LaShawn this year, but they're going to two in the next year or two. And it affects a guy like DeMarco Murray. Uh, Murray's got this year, maybe next year, and then Henry's going to probably take over the lead role. So you wouldn't draft Murray as high in a keeper league as you would in a uh, redraft league. One thing I could say, I mean, now there's there's different types of keeper leagues where, you know, in, in the drafts we just did together, if you keep any of your players, that's your first round pick. Well, the only other keeper league I'm in, and I'm actually relatively new to the keeper leagues, but uh, my other one is you, you can't keep anybody before the fourth round. So at that point, you're kind of looking at value. So in, in mine, I have two keepers I got, and this is PPR. I took Tyreek Hill as an undrafted free agent. So he's going to be my last pick. I had to take that value. Um, my other one, I believe is a fifth round pick, Julian Edelman. Now I know they just added cooks, but I still feel like in a PPR, Julian Edelman is going to have a ton of value. So when you're looking at it from a value standpoint, as far as which round you can get certain guys in, you're not always going for those superstars. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. Like, like in the league you were just talking about for us, the keepers being at the top of this draft is because we were resetting. And that's something you have to be aware of in keeper and dynasty leagues is that they usually have a cycle. So they're going to be a keeper league for three to five years. And then they're going to do a complete redraft or like we did, the, the keepers will be an option or you can redraft. So you don't lose a player like Le'Veon Bell Johnson, Aaron Rodgers, Julio Jones, those guys. You don't, you don't have to lose a superstar unless you really want to, but you may be limited to just one keeper where everybody else drops off and goes back into the pool. And it, what the reason you do that is to balance the league. You know, people who have a really good, successful draft in the keeper league tend to dominate for years, which is why the research is so important going in. But you also have to know that there's going to be some kind of a, a reset at some point. So you also need to keep that in mind as you get closer to that reset year, drafting the super young guys becomes less valuable. If you know that you're going to have to do a complete redraft and uh, lose everybody anyway. 
Yeah. Keepers can be at the top of the league, the bottom of the league, fourth round. You know, every league has its rules, and you have to be familiar with them before you get to the draft. Yeah. And I actually inherited the team that that I got last year in your keeper league. And there wasn't a whole lot to to say with the draft I, I came out with, but it actually worked out really well to the point where. The only guys I was considering before this draft were I had Andrew Luck, which obviously I didn't want anything to do with this season, and Jordy Nelson was the only one who obviously was injured all of last season. Well, it turned out I went back into the pool. I ended up with with Julio Jones as my one, and I ended up getting Jordy with my two. So it looked really good, the fact that if I wanted to keep Jordy, he would have been my first-round pick when I got him as my second. So it worked out pretty well. And that's the strategy of it. You know, you, you dropped your guy back out into the field. You got a better player and you got your guy back. The, the strategy itself, when you're going to take a player, how valuable a player is and what round, you always see somebody worried about getting their starting quarterback really early. And there's very few guys who are going to be worth a point differential. And that's one of the things you have to look at the point differential between the top one or two guys and say five through 10. Unless that point differential is closing in on, you know, 60 plus, there's not any real difference in these guys. You know, if, if you're talking about maybe two points per week, that seems like a pretty small number. It can add up by the end of the season if you get in a tie. But you could be costing yourself somebody from a different position who's going to have a much tighter point differential and then it's going to drop off the planet. You know, that's the, the top end running backs. Running backs have always ruled fantasy football. And, you know, so if you let those guys go so you can get your top end quarterback, you could end up taking a running back who's 150 points below the top end running back that you passed on. And at that spot, you could have taken a quarterback who's maybe 60 points below. So that's a 90 point swing at the end of the season. That makes a difference. So one of the things we're not going to spend a bunch of time on kickers and defense. Don't draft them before the end of the draft. You know, Th- those two positions are what I'm talking about, the point differential. There's not much of it. So you take them at the end of the draft. I see people every year take their kicker and their defense as soon as they finish filling out their starters. So th- they're going to run out there and take Seattle's defense with their eighth or ninth pick. And I'm still drafting running backs and wide receivers who are going to contribute to my season. Yeah, don't be that guy. Let somebody have that five-point differential in the defense or the kicker, and they take them in the eighth or ninth round while you're taking a wide receiver or running back or even a quarterback, and they're worried about their defense that's not going to score five more points than the guy that you took in round 12. You know, So that's one of those thoughts, part of the strategy. Kickers, defense, take them last. Quarterbacks, unless you're going to take Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, probably third, fourth round later. Um, I usually try to get my first four rounds running back, running back, wide receiver, wide receiver. I want to have my two starters at each of those positions done by the fourth round unless Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Drew Brees drops into the third or fourth round. Yeah, it's all about uh, who's who's on the board at the time. If there's – I'm in the same boat you are. I try to fill out those other positions first, but – Depending on what kind of receiver is there, if it's a middle of the road guy like a 
let's just say Drew Brees is there or Kelvin Benjamin's there, you know, I'm probably taking Drew Brees. Yeah. It, the, the the journey been the guys who are out of your top ten. If you get a top three quarterback, you take the quarterback. But you don't take the quarterback in the first round, and then everybody else takes all the running backs because then you're going to end up starting mid level running backs at the position that you need the most ability. Uh, if you don't have good running backs or good receivers, at least one, preferably both. It's going to be a long season. You're going to lose a lot of games. Uh, now, Aaron Rodgers has single-handedly won me a championship award. Um, he, last, last year, Aaron Rodgers is the only reason I won the league last year because he was turning it up, trying to get to the playoffs, and trying to make things count. So you have to take that into consideration of if the quarterback's – going to be one of the older guys on a shitty team that has no chance in the playoffs, and maybe they're going to be starting to play the young guys behind them, your playoffs could be pretty bleak. Uh, this one thing you've got to know is the schedule of your league, and keep in mind that certain teams are going to be shutting it down later in the year. So don't spend high draft picks on quarterbacks or you know injury-prone guys who are going to wear out by the end of the season. Because odds are, come fantasy football playoff time, they're going to be hurt or they're going to be sitting on the bench because there's nothing left to play for. So we've already pretty much covered this, but depth, you've got to have backups with different bye weeks in your starters. Every year, someone drafts two quarterbacks with the same bye week, two tight ends with the same bye week, or they'll draft four wide receivers and three of them are off in week eight. You know, So you, you've got to use some kind of thought process when you're doing your draft and looking at the, the bye weeks of your starters and the backups. If you're not going to be able to start a full team, you're probably going to lose that week. So watch your bye weeks, you know, get, get your starters down, make sure you know what their bye weeks are. You may have to make a tough decision of passing up a better wide receiver because you know you're not going to be able to play him on the same week when your starters are out. So you have to be careful with that. You got to be careful with guys in the same division for that same reason and guys on the same team for that same reason. You don't want to go out and draft all Titans because then when the Titans have their bye week, you lose. My last thought towards that is use that time between your draft picks for more than swilling beer and eating pizza. You're going to want to look at your next draft pick, you know, where you're at, you're filling out your roster. Use that time to go flag a few guys. You know, I'm either going to go running back or wide receiver this next pick. Let me go find the top three guys I would want at these because you got to do several of them because odds are your top guy will be gone by the time it rolls back around to you. So use that time to find him. But then also, once you've figured out, this is my right receiver, this is my running back, these are the guys that I probably want, go look at the other positions. See who's falling. Find that, you know, top-tier tight end who's somehow still hanging out out there. You know, if you've got a chance to get one of the top ten quarterbacks in the league and he's going to be your backup, but he's still going to get you more points than either of this you know, fourth string running back, fourth string wide receiver. Go ahead and go snag that quarterback. You know, just find the value. Use that time between to do something other than chat or rip on people for drafting old Jaguars. You use that time so that you can win later. <laughs> All right, people. Matt's checking out on us. We're going to go ahead and wrap <laughs> this up. Matt and I appreciate your time, your attention. 
Ryan is not here to brag about how he won one of the other leagues that we were all in. That's for the best because it's not going to happen again this year. And if you listen to us, you take some of this advice, hopefully you're winning some leagues on your end. We will happily take 10% of your earnings and just donate them to the show. Please do that. Please um, do that. <laughs> All right, guys. Tighten up. Tighten up. Thanks for listening to the Two-Town Uncensored Podcast. You can listen to the show at twotownuncensored.podbean.com or by downloading the Podbean app on your mobile device. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Two Tone Uncensored and like us on Facebook.